0: A couple weeks ago, my dad introduced that I would be speaking today, and uh, he related it to being thrown to the wolves. Now, I don't think of you guys as wolves, but I've done a couple things like that already, and so it's kind of starting to become par for the course. My first time I was in kids' church, the assistant wasn't going to be able to be there, and it was on a Saturday night service, and Vicky came up to me and asked me, hey, there's this little object lesson. We don't have the person that was supposed to do this. Can you come do this today. And I looked her in the eyes, and I said, no. <laughs> and so she, she said to me, well, if we can't find anybody else in the next five, seven minutes, whatever it is, if I can't find anybody else in that time, can I leave this with you, look over it, can you do it? And I said, all right. So she couldn't find anybody else. And so I ended up doing it. Then uh, the next day, uh, she did have an assistant, but she asked me to do it again. And then all of a sudden, I started doing Kids Church. Uh, and then I've been heading that up kind of over in Morgan Park. And that's been a tremendous opportunity. I've been doing that since September. The first time I led worship over in Morgan Park, I had, the first time I had really led worship in front of people was just a week and a half, two weeks before that at youth group. And then I was at Valley Fair on a Saturday. And I get a text from my mom. And she said, hey, the worship leader isn't going to be there. I need you to pick some songs. And I said, okay. And so I picked some songs, got back at 3 in the morning, and then led worship the next day. Uh, That was the first time I led worship. The first time I got to then speak in front of people then was in October when I spoke at youth group. That was just a little 15-minute sermon. And I was strongly encouraged to do that. And then uh, got to do it a few more times and got to speak at youth group. And now I'll be taking over the youth group with the help of Celia. And that'll be just an amazing opportunity. I love youth, and it's going to be amazing to see where that goes. And uh, then in April, I was able to speak in Morgan Park. Just a load of things like that. So I've been jumping off of all sorts of cliffs, uh, and this is the next new one. So I'm glad that you guys are here. Today I'm going to start off the sermon the way I did in Morgan Park and that way is this. That most of the things I'm going to say today, most of the words I say, you're, you're going to end up forgetting. Now that's some way to start a sermon, right? The thing that you will remember is what the Holy Spirit speaks to your heart. Because there's going to be a trial, a temptation, something that happened in your past, something that's happening right now or something that's going to happen. He's going to be speaking something into your heart right now in this moment that's going to clarify something and it's going to help you out. And the Holy Spirit, I tell you what, is a way better preacher, way better communicator than I am, because each of us receives something in a different way, and the Holy Spirit knows which way that is. I don't. So I pray that you'll be listening to his words, because those are the ones you'll remember. So uh, we're going to pray, and then we'll dive into the word. So Father, we just love you and we praise you. We thank you for your word. We thank you that you don't leave us to do things by ourselves, but that you help us out. I thank you for your promises that we can trust you that we can submit to you and follow you. Father, you're so trustworthy. You never let us down. Father, we've seen you do it before. We just ask that you would do it again. Speak to us. Show us what we need to be doing. I pray right now that the words that come out of my mouth would be your words and not my own, and that the words that they hear today would be from you, God. We thank you and ask for your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. The sermon title is Free to Serve, or Free to Seek and Save the Lost. We're going to be talking about Luke chapter 15 a little bit. That's going to be the three lost parables. The parable of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. So we're going to start in Luke chapter 15, verses 1 through 7. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So the starting of these three parables is starting off with Jesus. He's eating with sinners. Of course, we're all sinners, and the Pharisees didn't realize that they were sinners, too. He was eating with them, and they didn't like that. The Pharisees didn't like a lot of the things that Jesus did. And here, they don't like what he's doing with eating with them. But hallelujah, that Jesus welcomes sinners and eats with them. Because if he didn't, who of us could enter the kingdom of heaven? Verse 3. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Now in the Bible, there's multiple interpretations for things. And some person could get something from one verse and have it be accurate. And another person could get something from the same verse and get something different and still have it be accurate. Now, there are wrong interpretations of things, of course, but there can be multiple interpretations that can be right. The main interpretation of this is that Jesus is our great shepherd, of course. And when one of us are lost, he, he goes and he searches after us, and he guards us, he protects us, keeps us clean. He looks after us, and he wants everyone to be saved. That's his heart. Not that 99 would be saved, but 100, that all would be saved. That's the main interpretation. The second interpretation, I would say, is this. Back in this day, most people that were shepherds didn't own the sheep. It was somebody else then who owned the sheep that wasn't there, but the shepherds were then in charge of the sheep while the master was gone. So in the same way Jesus is coming back, he is our master, and we have been entrusted with certain people, certain moments, certain opportunities, certain people we're supposed to look after and minister to. Now you might be saying, oh, well, I'm not a, I'm not a pastor. I'm not going to be a missionary. It doesn't matter is everybody is called to minister. So it doesn't matter if you work at SAPI, if you're a teacher, whatever it is, everybody is called to minister. And everybody has moments and opportunities to minister to somebody, whether it be family, friends, or coworkers. Everybody has an opportunity. So it doesn't matter your skill set, your age, your gender, your calling. We are all called to serve. So I would ask you, who are your sheep? What are your opportunities? And if you haven't seen the opportunities and you don't know what they were, then you probably haven't been looking. And you haven't been slowing down long enough to notice them. And then if you have noticed them, have you guarded your sheep? Who do you need to minister to? It's when we get freedom and we start going through the freedom process that this is what we get to do. We get to become free to serve. I was talking with Jake after the sermon last night, and he related it to this. If you haven't gone through the freedom process, if you're still bound by anxiety pain in your previous trials, then you're trying to guard your sheep with your hands tied. When someone's lost and you're trying to get the sheep, you're trying to get them with your hands tied, but it's so much easier when you're free. Because the best testimony you can give is one where you're free yourself. Boy, don't miss your opportunities. I had a situation back several years ago. I think I was in middle school. And I had, I had a friend, and he was starting to come to youth group. And this is back when we, we used to have youth group at our house and he came to youth group a couple times. The first time he came, I, I was confused. I didn't think that he was actually coming for youth group. I thought, oh, can't hang out right now. we got a youth group. And he's like, oh, no, I'm coming for youth group. And I was like, oh, oh, okay. And then he came a second time. And I didn't, I didn't realize the significance of the situation. I didn't realize that it was a moment that I needed to take hold of. I didn't realize the opportunity, and I missed it. And he stopped coming to youth group. We have the opportunity to change somebody's eternal destiny with the things that we do. We have people we're supposed to look after. The next parable is the parable of the lost coin. It's going to be verses 8 through 10 in Luke chapter 15. Where suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Does she not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Let's get the angels rejoicing, amen. Is this woman searching because she's really, really greedy? Let me put it this way. If there was a $10,000 check and we put it under one of the chairs, would you look underneath your chair? I'm guessing you would. I'd probably start looking under chairs too. And why would you look? It's because that $10,000 has value, right? This woman searches for this coin because it has value. And in the same way, we have value to God. How much value do we have? God, who is all-powerful, all-knowing, omnipresent, omniscient, all those fancy words, he's infinite, has no beginning, has no end, decided that he would be born poor. And being born as a king, that would be humbling himself too. But he was born rejected. No end would take him. Born in a manger, not in a hospital like many of us were born. But he was born very low. He washed his disciples' feet. You guys ever wash feet before? Maybe if you have a kid and they run around in the mud for a while and then they get a bath. Boy, washing feet is disgusting. The God of the universe washed his disciples' feet, and yet we complain when we have to do the dishes. He humbled himself so much that he was rejected. He humbled himself so much that he washed his disciples' feet. He was beaten, mocked, stripped, and crucified. They took lots for his clothes. The God of the universe did that for specifically you. He sacrificed himself specifically for you. And now I believe that even if you were the only person on the planet, even if I was the only person on the planet, he would still come and die for just you. It wasn't a numbers game. He wasn't coming because he figured the billions of people would be worth it. He came because specifically you are worth it. Specifically you. He loves specifically you. So if we can see the value in people like God sees it, boy, wouldn't that change so much? If we can love people like God loves people, that's what would change the world. So what should we do if we lose a sheep or a coin? What should we do? The woman in this parable sweeps the house and she lights a lamp. Now we are the light of Christ. And of course, the light that we get is from above. It's from Christ. We are not the light ourselves, but we get it and we transfer it through. Now some people, they get in a dark place and they have bad circumstances happening around them and they wonder what's going on, but this is not the situation where you put yourself in a dark place, okay? We're going to read about the prodigal son and he put himself in a dark place, but sometimes we find ourselves with bad circumstances happening around us, with dark circumstances happening around us, and sometimes we're put in those darkest places so that we can shine the brightest light because we are not called to shine more light where there is light, we're called to shine light where there is darkness. And the darkness has to flee when we shine the light. Because darkness is just the absence of light. One of the biggest things we can do is look past our circumstances and how do we do that? We've been talking a lot about how where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And when Pastor Arnold came, he talked about Paul and Silas and Joseph and how they would be in prison, but it wouldn't change their attitude. See, in God's Spirit, there is no pain. There are no chains. There's no bondage. In God's Spirit, there's freedom there's peace, there's joy. So when you get that spirit in you and you have it overflowing, even if you're in the deepest, darkest cell and your feet are in the stocks and you're chained and you just got severely flogged, you can worship God and praise God because you've got so much of that spirit in you that you see the world the way he sees it and not the way we see it. It changes your perspective so you don't have to drift with your circumstances. We can start seeing the world the way God sees it when we get that spirit in us by praying, doing our devotions, and coming to church. So Joseph did that. Paul and Silas did that. One of the biggest ones is Stephen, the stoning of Stephen. It's the first thing I preached on in, in youth group. Wonderful subject, of course. And uh, Stephen was being stoned, and even though he was being stoned, while he was being stoned, he was said that he had the face of an angel. Man, even if people are killing you, even if people are killing you, you can, you can see things the way God sees it. You can have joy. Reiterate this in Titus 1, 15 through 16. To the pure, all things are pure. But to those who are corrupted and do not believe, nothing is pure. In fact, both their minds and consciences are corrupted. They claim to know God, but by their actions they deny Him. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for doing anything good. They claim to know God, but by their actions they deny Him. What we do in the world, in our workplace, around our friends, around our family, it matters. See, the first part, to the pure, all things are pure. The more purity we get in us from God, more of God's purity in us, the more we see things as pure. The more our circumstances don't have to define our attitude, our complaining and our worrying. We can give those things to God and we can live in his purity and in his spirit. See, we stifle the light of Christ when we complain, we worry, have anxiety. It's just like a commercial. I tend to just watch like Netflix or Amazon nowadays, so I, haven't, uh, I don't watch a whole lot of commercials. But you don't ever see somebody in a commercial that's buying something and they're really, really sad to be buying that item, right? Let's say somebody is buying a Ford truck. They sign the papers, they do all this stuff, they talk, they shake hands, you know, they smile. Do you ever see them really, really sad to be buying that truck? Now, Chevy owners would say, yes, they're very, very sad. But in the commercials, they're not, right? So if they're buying kids' toys, a truck, if they're buying a couch, a bed, whatever it is, if it's a bed, oh, this is the best bed ever, it's like a cloud, you know? So it's all going to be super, super great in the commercial, right? So if people see us in the workplace, if people see us around our friends, if people see us around our family, and we're complaining about every little thing, if we're worrying about every little thing, if we're letting our circumstances define our attitude, we're misrepresenting Christ, Because people see it like a commercial and they want to see if God's real by the things that you do. And if you're letting your attitude be shifted by the things of this world, then our testimony is hurt. Our testimony becomes useless and we waste the cross by the things that we do. It's when bad things are happening around us and we still decide to act like Christ that we make a difference in our world. That we really show Christ's love and what his joy can do when the world thinks that we should have depression, when we should have anxiety, when we should be worrying, when we should have suicidal thoughts, but we have joy, we have peace, we have patience, that our testimony spreads naturally just by the things that we do. We're going to move on to the parable of the lost son, Luke 15, 11, and 12. Jesus continued, so he's still talking to the Pharisees. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So we divided his property between them. Now I did a little bit of research on this parable and there's some fun little facts in there. One of them is uh, the younger son in this time would receive half of what the older son would get. So the older son would receive then a double portion. So then the older son would get two thirds and the younger son would get a third. So then the father decides to agree with this. I have no idea why the father would agree with this because basically what the son was saying was, would you die already? I'm looking for an inheritance. I want to get out of here. Could I just get it now? And the father agrees. Verse 13. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth and wild living. Now, the Greek for uh, got together all he had also means turned everything into cash. Now, back in this day, of course, there was no U.S. bank. There was nothing like that where he could just go make a withdrawal and then grab $200,000, whatever, and give it to the younger son. He couldn't do that. So what he gave him was a third of the cattle, a third of the land, a third of the servants. The father's reputation would have taken a hit here because in this day, the community would have ranked each other based off of their cattle and their land and their servants. So the father took a major hit for his son here, made a major sacrifice, but he spends it quickly. The son here was a bad representation of his father. He was misrepresenting his father. If we go out and we do things like this, we misrepresent the Father as well. We've got to be a good representation of Christ. That's how our testimony spreads. But this son made his father look like a fool. Verse 14. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. You ever spend money a little too quickly or spend it maybe a little too much? You might regret it afterwards. I know I have. And on top of spending everything, famine hits. You see, the famine is going to hit either way. Hard times are going to hit either way in our lives. So we might as well just go with Christ. If we trust him, he's got us. So either we're going to spend everything and the famine's going to hit. And it's going to get a whole lot worse. Or we can be wise and the famine hits and we'll be ready. And when the famine hits, we don't have to let our attitude go with the famine. We can keep our attitude in Christ and have our attitudes be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Verse 15. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. Now, he is in a great amount of desperation here. A great amount of desperation. He lost everything. A famine hits. This is really bad. And the best thing he can do is hire himself out to go feed pigs. That's the best thing he can do. Now, back in this day, the Jews, to them, pork, pigs, they're unclean. So taking a job of feeding pigs, taking a job to roll around in the mud with them and do that, it's very humiliating for him. And this is the best he can do. He is very humbled at this point. Very humbled. Verse 16 it gets a little worse. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. You guys ever been hungry? Like really hungry? Have you ever been this hungry? Now, I was in I was in wrestling, and in wrestling you had to make certain weight classes. So what we try to do is lose weight and try to not eat or not drink for a little bit and lose weight a little bit so that we could wrestle smaller people. Try to get an advantage. Now, at the same time that we were doing that, we were also kind of making ourselves smaller, so if it helps, I don't really know. Probably not, because it just kind of zaps your energy. But we would get pretty hungry. I don't think I ever wanted to eat pig food. The ponds that the pigs were eating, it's very possible that it wasn't edible by people. And maybe that's why they didn't give them anything. He is in a great amount of need, very hungry, very poor. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3 kind of describes the state that he's in. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. Right now, the prodigal son is lost. He's dead in his transgressions and sins. He's in a great amount of need. And many of us right now may be in a great amount of need. But the Father wants you. Verse 17. Story will get a little bit better now. Verse 17. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. You might be thinking, why didn't he come to his senses before? Before he was being humiliated and had to feed pigs, why didn't he do it before that? Well, when I was doing my research, and this sounds a little weird to me, so you can take it for what it is, but what they would do with Jewish sons that would get lost in a Gentile country and spend all their money, if they wanted to come back and they didn't want him back, they would break this large pot in front of them and they would say, we'll use my name, you, Daniel, are now banned from this community. So, he was probably worried that he would be humiliated if he came back. But what he realized when he came to his senses is that his father's heart was for him to come home. And so many people, they get caught up in the lies that the church doesn't want them back. They get caught up in the lies that God doesn't want them back. But God does want you back, and He does want the people that you know to come to Christ. He does. That's His heart. His heart is not to humiliate you, He wants you. Don't believe the lie. I had a similar story to this when I was sitting in the wilderness and I wasn't doing the things I was supposed to at the time and I was looking out into the horizon under the clouds. Just sitting down, I was listening to worship music which wasn't something that I normally did at the time. And I was sitting there and I was looking out onto the clouds and I thought, man, what if Jesus was coming on that cloud? And this overwhelming amount of fear came on me and I thought, I need to change what I'm doing. I haven't been doing things right. So let me ask you, if Christ came back on one of the clouds today, would you be ready? What have you done? Who are your sheep? Who do you need to guard? Who do you need to look after? Because the Father's heart is that as us as shepherds, that we look after those sheep. And when he comes back, he doesn't want 99 of them. He wants 100. And that's up to us. That's up to us. Verse 18 through 19. So the prodigal son is thinking here, I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. He's very humbled at this point. He's not thinking, oh, I'm going to come back and I'm just going to be like the son again. I'll get a new inheritance. That'll be how it is. He's thinking, just make me a hired man. I'm not worthy anymore. Look at the things I've done. He's very humbled at this point. But like Ephesians 2 1 through 3 talks about being dead in your transgressions and sins, it doesn't have to end there. And we see it doesn't end there for him in verse 20 through 24. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, so they began to celebrate. It doesn't have to end there for you, and it doesn't have to end there for the people that you know. This is the way I see the story. I see the father. He comes out every day, sweeping his porch, whatever it is, and there's this big road. You can see way far down, and barely one day he sees something, and he looks at it, and he realizes that's his son. And he bolts. He runs. He sprints with his arms open wide, smile on his face, runs, grabs him, hugs him. And the son says, I am not worthy. I have sinned against heaven and against you. Just make me a hired man. I think he just interrupts him. If you know this previously, the son says a little bit more when he's thinking about this before, but I think he gets cut off because he doesn't get to say all of that. The father says, Quick, quick, bring the best robe. Get sandals on his feet, a ring on his finger, kill the fattened calf. Let's celebrate. But the son was lost and now is found. God is looking for you. And you know what the prodigal son did? He didn't just come to his senses while feeding pigs and sit on the idea. He didn't just come to his senses feeding pigs and then just have a small group on the idea. He started moving. He started acting on it. It's one thing if you hear something in here and it's another thing if you do something out there. What the son did is he started moving in his direction and even though he was a long way off, even though his destination was still way over there, he still had a long journey to go, he was at least moving and the father met him where he was. The father will meet you where you are and he will bring you the rest of the way. All you have to do is start moving. Start serving. Because God has something for you and you might not know what it is. And you might not know the area of ministry you want to do, what part you want to serve in, what part you want to volunteer in. But if you start moving, he'll take you the rest of the way. He'll guide you. But you have to start moving because he doesn't use a stagnant piece. Verses 25 through 32. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father, said you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So many people are like the brother, and when they see lost people come to Christ, they complain. And they don't want to celebrate too, because they think it's going to take away from what they've got, their area of ministry. Man, where's your heart? Do you see people and the value in people like God sees it? Man, it would change the world if we did that. I was listening to a sermon by Pastor Joko de Jesus, and he uh, did some research on this as well. And uh, what he found out, that it was tradition back in this time, that if a son did get lost, and a son wasted all their money, that it was the job of the older brother to go and find him in that distant country. But the older brother, he sat in the field. What he should have done, what the father wanted him to do, was to see him packing his bags, getting ready, Father, I'm getting ready, I'm leaving, I'm going to a distant country, I'm going to go find my lost brother, and I'm not coming back until I find him. That's what he wanted to hear. He didn't want to see him just sitting in the field every day you know what? It's great to come to church. I encourage you to come to church. Come to church every week. But if this is all you do, if all you do is do your prayer and devotions, and then that doesn't change anything you do in your workplace, if that doesn't change anything that you do around your friends and around your family, it becomes worthless. It becomes worthless. We could just stay in the field, breaking the leaves, coming to church. But what this does is it fills you up. Church fills you up. Prayer fills you up. The Bible fills you up so that you can go make a difference out there because it's not all about being in here if we never make a difference out there. One of the misconceptions is that the brother thinks that he never got to celebrate with his friends. He never got a fattened calf killed for him. But what he doesn't realize is that everything his father has is his. The son got his inheritance. We get to go to heaven. Everything he has is ours. He's given it to us. We become children of God. We're going to read Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. Instead of ending where the prodigal son was, we're going to see where it really ends. See where it really can end for you and where it really can end for your family, your friends, and your co-workers. Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature, For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast, for we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. There's so much we're called to do. And it didn't end there for the prodigal son, it doesn't have to end there for you. We see that we're saved by grace, we don't have to earn it. But once we get saved, we get called into something different. So it's not working for our salvation. Salvation's done with. That part's done with. Now we get to serve. We're free to serve. A lot of people, they skip this last verse. They see saved by grace and they miss. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works. See, if we don't, we claim to know God, but then we become detestable, like Titus says. We become unfit for doing anything good instead of being pure. So what are you going to do? I'm worried that you're going to leave this place and go back the same old way, do the same old things. Go back to your workplace and do the same old things. We need a sense of urgency. What if Christ came back today? We need a sense of urgency. What if Christ came back today? Who have we saved? Who have we taken out of the fire, out of the flames of hell? Who have we saved? You know, I grew up in church, but in my surrounding family, there are more people going to hell right now than people going to heaven in my family. And I grew up in church. Everybody knows people who are lost. Everybody So you might know grandparents, friends, family. We've got something we need to do. We've got a job to do. We're going to close with a quote by William Booth. He founded the Salvation Army. Not called, did you say? Not heard the call, I think you should say. Put your ear down to the Bible and hear him bid you go and pull sinners out of the fire of sin. Put your ear down to the burdened, agonized heart of humanity and listen to its pitiful wail for help. Go stand by the gates of hell and hear the damned entreat you to go to their father's house and bid their brothers and sisters and servants and masters not to come there. Then look Christ in the face, whose mercy you have professed to obey, and tell him whether you will join heart and soul and body and circumstances in the march to publish his mercy to the world. Not called, you said. Not listening to the call. I think he should say doesn't matter what you're called to do. We're all called to minister. As my dad says, we're not all called to full-time ministry, but all of us are called to full-time Christianity. So let's not let circumstances define our attitude. Let's go get people. Let's be runners. Let's run to get people. Let's not sit in the field anymore. And I haven't always done this, but we need to make a change today for our family, for our friends. We need to make a change if you haven't been seeing the opportunities, the moments that you can minister to somebody, I pray that you can slow down long enough to see those opportunities. And if you have, I pray for boldness to seize the opportunity. And if you've never heard this before, maybe this is your first time coming to church, come up for prayer. We'll talk you through this, salvation. You don't have to earn it. It's by grace we're saved. Let's close in prayer. Father, we love you and we praise you. We thank you for how much you humbled yourself to go to that cross for us and that you didn't stay dead, but you rose from the grave and just in the same way, we can die with our sins and then be risen with you in new life and new purity and in your spirit. So God, I pray that you would just fill us up with so much spirit, fill us up with so much of your word that it would overflow and that that light, which is joy, peace, and patience would shine through, that we would have so much of your spirit that we couldn't help but be happy and be joyful. In you, God, no matter the circumstance. Father, I pray that as we leave here, that we wouldn't do things the same. Because even if we can't change the whole world, we can at least change our world. And piece by piece, we can can change everything.